with America's only born and bred Southern liberal talk host. Head on with Bob Kincaid is brought to you each night by Coal River Mountain Watch. Coal River Mountain Watch invites you to become part of the solution, part of a sustainable future, part of the uprising against mountaintop removal. Coal River Mountain Watch, crmw.net. And now, from high in the hills of beautiful West Bicod, Virginia, here's Bob Kincaid on the Head On Radio Network. Well, howdy. And here we go, off and running on a whole brand new broadcast week of murder and mayhem and carnage and genocide. Hi, I'm Robin. This is The Horn. Head on dot live is where you'll find us on the interweb, too. That's where you go if you'd like to be part of the merry, wacky, zany, real-time, madcap, multimedia extravaganza that is The Horn chat room in the three hours in which this program is live, Monday through Friday, 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. All time zones in between and the great globe round and whatever time it happens to be where you're listening to the podcast. If you're a podcast member of the Horn Family Community Congregation, thank you for making this program part of your day, whatever part of the day that happens to be. Thank you so very much. And uh, please, wherever you take the podcast, like every episode, make sure you're subscribed. Leave a comment. Talk about the program if you want to uh, in the comments section. Who knows? One of these days, somebody might answer you. Maybe even me if I ever get a notification. Uh, (laughs) But thank you. Thank you so much for uh, making this program part of your precious, finite time of uh, of your day. And your life. Thank you. If you happen to be listening live on this Moran Monday... The 16th day of October, 2023. Uh, well, uh, pop into the chat room. Yeah. Pop into the chat room. You'll be greeted by the early arrivers there, too. And by that, I mean uh, Too Much Hutch, Squeaky, and Theo. Hi, gang. Capably moderated by Horn Chief Agronomist, Chief Mathematician, and Bud Trimmer Emeritus Roger in Oregon. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's one of those little things. I have to turn the sound effects off on the chat room. I turned them off two hours ago. But somehow or another, I don't know what, but they, they came back on because I heard that, yeah, which meant somebody had uh, commented. So, uh, well, I've got that muted again now. So that's a good thing. Ah, like I said, it is Moran Monday, and if uh, homicidal maniacs, uh, well, if Moran's includes homicidal maniacs, well, 
we will have them in rich abundance today. But every program here at the Horn begins with gratitude, and this program is no different. So thanks go out to our 16th, 15th, and 14th day of the month subscribers. This is uh, uh, rather one of the thin, this is the middle of the month is very thin for subscribers. Uh, so thank you, Mark. Thank you so very much. And thank you to our buddy, uh, our buddy Zed out in Iowa. Thank you to Reinhardt on the Virginia coast. Uh, thanks to David up in Oregon. Thank you to Robert. Thank you, Robert, so very much. Um, thank you to Matt in San Francisco. Let's see. And thank you to Ralphs as well. Thank you all for helping to keep pendant broadcast operation on the air. Golly Moses, um, we are a week and a day away from the uh, 18th anniversary of this program as a standalone internet-only broadcast. Uh, a week from tomorrow marks 18 years to the day since we hotted up the mic. Um, ben Birch had been here from Chicago to help get the streamer all set up. We had brand new computers and wow, uh, he, he got everything running. And on the 24th of October 2005, we went live at, at internet only. But uh, coming up on the fourth day of February of the coming year, that'll be 20 years, 20 years of this, because that, that's the anniversary of going live in the bad old days of terrestrial radio in America's fifth smallest radio market. You know, my old granddaddy used to say to me, Robin, whatever you do in life, always make sure you're Fifth best. No, he, he never did. Uh, sorry to hear that, Randy Radar. Randy Radar says seven se second glitch in the stream already. I don't think I've had a seven second pause yet, so um, maybe that's just internet weather. I haven't seen any buffering taking place here. Uh, where we are in terms of fundraising, we'll just call it we're $1,500. We're a week behind. Um, so we're unfunded for today. Friday, Thursday, no air, air, so that's that's a freebie. But today, Friday, Wednesday, Tuesday, and Monday. It would be great if we could catch up with some of that. Um, thank you very kindly to those of you who choose to help out. Uh, the PayPal button is at headon.live. It's just a yellow button. Now you have to click that, and it takes you to the other the, the interface where you can even decide to be a subscriber if you want. And by subscribe, that just you, know, you put in ten bucks or whatever amount, and and click the little box that says "Make this happen every month." And it come that way. It comes out without you having to think about it on the same day. If you go PayPal, remember the PayPal will come out on the first day of the month, regardless of what day you sign up. And we need we need subscribers. But thanks to everybody who is a subscriber. Thank you so very much indeed. 
Uh, before we jump into the abattoir and the carnage and the horror, uh, just a quick update on something sweet and beautiful. Uh, for a little bit there yesterday evening, I thought we would not be here for this program this evening. But, obviously, we are. But, but, but no, for a little bit it seemed like maybe uh, my little my little granddaughter might have been ready to make her appearance in this world. She, she will be making her appearance soon. We just don't know exactly when that is. But I can tell you when I hope it isn't. I hope it's not Thursday, Friday, or Monday. Because my buddy Malloy called and asked me if I would fill in for him uh, while he does a little, while he travels a bit and goes up to uh, the the Commonwealth uh, to see Miss Molly, who is an amazing young woman. Um, so uh, he'll be on the road Thursday and Friday, possibly Monday of next week, a week from today. And so consequently, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Monday, uh, Tara Devlin, uh, she of Tara Buster, um, will join me, and uh, we'll, we will cover uh, we will cover those three days for Mike, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I hope I hope little uh, little Miss Luna decides to behave herself and not decide to show up Thursday, Friday, or next Monday. So, you know, program note, please make a note of it and we'll see how uh, we'll see how it all plays out. Okay then. More in Monday. And I'm not going to fool with the more in Monday shtick and the the whole carnival intent and everything because um, the the more in Monday tent is out for laundering because it's it's absolutely spattered with innocent blood from the ongoing conflict in that hell on earth. And I guess we kind of have to start with that, although I would far prefer to start with the good news, like Judge Chutkin uh, imposing a <clears throat> limited <clears throat> CAG order on Nitwit Nero, which his spokes creep has put out a... Uh, uh, a statement saying, It's an abomination, definitely an abomination. Oh, really? Well, let's just do that. Let's start there instead, because it is good news. Uh, with the, a motion before her, courtesy of Special Prosecutor Jack Smith and his team, so the matter was properly before the court, um, Judge Chutkin imposed the limited gag order based on things that Nitwit Nero has been saying, like, Jack Smith is an insane thug. And his pettifoggers. Uh, had a 
very public performative hissy over it. The prosecution wanted Julius Geezer not only to be barred from trashing prosecutors and witnesses, but they also wanted him to say, uh, the, her, Judge Chutkin, to order him to stop saying that Joe Biden ordered his prosecution because that is a blatant, meritless, baseless, entire, total lie. Uh, Judge Chutkin, however, stopped short. She is still, as we have talked here, guarding any potential judgment of conviction that may occur. And uh, she said, Mr. Trump, it pisses him off so much when she calls him Mr. You know, and not Master. Mr. Trump can certainly claim he's being unfairly prosecuted, but I cannot imagine any other case where a defendant is allowed to call the prosecution deranged, a thug, or anything else. And the fact that he's running for president does not give him carte blanche to vilify public servants for simply doing their job. I will prohibit statements about potential witnesses or the subject of their testimony. If he wants to criticize Mr. Pence, he may do so, but he may not criticize Mr. Pence about the events in this case. Without this restriction, there is a real risk that the other witnesses may be intimidated or other witnesses may be reluctant to come forward lest they be subject to the same harassment or intimidation, which is a valid point. Because even in the House of Representatives, You've got an entire segment of the maggot majority, such as it is, and seven dwarfs running for president against him, six of whom are 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 staining their staining their underwear at the prospect of having to say that the former president twice impeached. 91 times indicted is unfit to again be president. Too high a hurdle. Too far a bridge to cross to say that he's as crooked as a dog's hind leg. Which he is. And which rather came out in his fraud trial, by the way. We'll get to that as well. So this is his second gag order. He just makes history every day. Geezer Disgustus does. Every day. He's the only president in American history ever to have a gag order. The only president in American history not only to be indicted 91 times, but even once. I mean, when you when when you're when you're so crooked that you even get past Richard Nixon, <laughs> uh, it's nothing to be proud of. But you've definitely done something. 
Prosecutor Mo- uh, Molly Gaston, who argued the motion today up for Jack Smith, said, we have no interest in stopping the defendant from running for office or defending his reputation, nor does our proposed order do that. What we want to do is keep him from trying this case in the court of public opinion, which cannot and should not happen. While the kind of trash that he talks against witnesses and potential witnesses may not rise to the level of witness intimidation with the meaning of the federal statute, Ms. Gaston said they risk influencing both the individual who has been publicly attacked and other witnesses who see the public attack and are perhaps chilled. And that residents of the potential jury pool, namely jurors in the District of Columbia, Well, his statements risk influencing both the individual who has been publicly attacked and other witnesses who see the public attack and are perhaps chilled. And that the jury pool could be tainted by an inundation by public and sometimes false renditions of the expected evidence. And the gag order would allow Nitwit Nero to campaign. He can say, no, I didn't do that. I'm not guilty. At which Judge Chutkin, unable to constrain herself, uh, said, Wow, you're envisioning a different scenario than what is currently in existence. And said he doesn't get to respond to every criticism of him if that response would involve a potential witness. The language that Mr. Trump is using, he doesn't get to use all the words. Meanwhile, his pettifogger, John Lauro, remember, this case is being tried in D.C., and D.C. is fairly crawling with extremely talented lawyers who are specialists in this kind of criminality and criminal defense, and he couldn't find even one of them to defend him, so he had to go with a guy from Tampa, Florida, which is definitely not D.C. Uh, so John Loro, Pettifogger, said, My client is entitled to speak truth to oppression. And Judge Chutkin wasn't having any of that, instead said, I, you know, I don't need to hear any campaign rhetoric in my courtroom. Mr. Trump is a criminal defendant. Joe Biden is not. As such, Mr. Trump has restraints on his speech. His conditions of release override his First Amendment rights. And that's not even a close case. That's not a close call. It's true. You make a bargain with the ju- with the justice system... If you want to be out on bond. Just speaking in general terms, for instance, and I'm just talking about, you know, once upon a time when I dealt with issues like this. If you're over 21, you have the right to go down to your local Rippy Mart and get yourself a case of Anheuser-Busch Natural Light Ice and 
go home and drink the whole damn thing and be completely law-abiding, soused out of your brains on shitty beer, but within your rights. However, if you're out on bond as a condition of said bond, most boilerplate bond agreements say that you will, in addition to being law-abiding, not consume alcoholic beverages nor partake of illegal drugs. And that's never going to be overturned. Because the pur- if you think about it, the purpose is to make sure that the person out on bond remains law-abiding and that aforementioned 24-pack of Anheuser-Busch Natural Light Ice might tend to incline one losing one's inhibitions to not be law-abiding. And the same thing goes for potentially committing federal and more, more federal felonies like witness intimidation or obstruction of justice. Because that's the goal here. The goal is to protect the witnesses, protect the integrity of the jury pool, and to a certain extent, for his own sake, to keep the defendant from getting himself deeper into the cesspit of his own creation. And then she began to deal, Judge Chutkin did, she began to deal with some of the substance of the ugliness that he has vomited forth into the public sphere. Uh, Judge Chutkin said, uh, if he says that someone is deserving of execution then it's not a far stretch when one of the millions of followers of this person goes ahead and decides to do that. She was referring, of course, to his remarks regarding uh, Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley when he said that Milley, in another day, would have been executed for telling his Chinese counterpart that if anything wacky happened, that Milley would advise his Chinese counterpart just because that's a standing agreement we have. Because both countries recognize that things can go sideways and that we don't want to start a war we don't want to start. We only want to start the wars we do want to start. Make sense? You remember the scene where the President of the United States calls Dimitri, the Soviet premier, and Dr. Strangelove and says, Dimitri, Mr. President, he is drunk. Dimitri, hi, Dimitri. Yeah, yeah, yes, it's nice to say hello. Uh, of course, Dimitri, I, I, li- I like to say hello. No, no, Dimitri, you know how we've talked about how something might go, well, funny 
with the bomb. You know, well, one of our generals has gone funny in the head. You know, funny in the head. <sighs> well, in this case, it's not the president calling his counterpart. It's a, it's one of the generals call, uh, calling his counterpart in China about the fact that the president of the United States had gone, you know, funny in the head. But I, fi- I found Judge Chutkin's remarks interesting. Because it is an oblique, and I don't think it can be anything but oblique, an oblique reference to the fact that Nitwit Nero has a taste for stochastic terrorism. If you stop and think about it, the entirety of January 6, 2021, was an exercise in stochastic terrorism. They brought their own damn gallows and ran around looking for Mike Pence to hang him from it. So Judge Chutkin knows what he was about. And John Lauro, apparently, maybe he's still getting paid, but uh, he was he was performing for an audience of one and said, you can't be penalized by First Amendment speech because of something someone else does. Someone got a gun and went out and shot Representative Scalise. Are we going to say that Democrats can't criticize Republicans because someone might go out and do something crazy? I found that an interesting um, an interesting comparison. Especially in light of the fact that Democrats generally say, "Hey, we don't we we don't need a country that's got that's up armed armed to its bushy little eyebrows with uh, semi-automatic assault weapons meant for war. Nobody should be able to get one of those and go squeeze off a few rounds at Steve Scalise." This, of course, appeared to have been lost on John Lauro. But what John Lauro was putting forth is what I call the talk radio defense. Because just as one of many potential for instances out there, um, there was a time some years back When uh, Glenn the Beckerhead, back when he still had a viable program and was getting paid lots of money to be on Fox News TV Radio Rwanda, and he's talking about frogs in boiling pots and the like, railed against uh, an NGO called the Tides Foundation. Which he told his uh, the Beckerhead told his soft-skulled audience 
was a an effort by George George Soros to turn the United States of America into a progressive nightmare where no one had freedom or frisbees or wheat checks or anything. And the Beckerhead railed day in and day out against the Tides Foundation until one of his millions of viewers grabbed up some Second Amendment remedy freedom protectors, loaded them into the car, sucked down a bottle of old panther piss, and headed for San Francisco to rid the world of the progressive evil of the Tides Foundation. Fortunately, he got busted for DUI on the way. I think his mom may also, because he lived in her basement, I think. His mom may have also dropped the dime on him. I don't remember all the details. I just remembered what a horrifying example it was of the power of stochastic terrorism. But when that happened, the Beckerhead said, Why, goodness me, how could I, a humble television host for Fox News TV Radio Rwanda, ever imagine, even conceptualize that someone would listen to my mad ravings and go out and decide to attack the people I've been raving against. Heavens to Murgatroyd! It's madness, I tell you, madness. Or that time when night after night after night after night after night Bill Falafel Boy O'Reilly. Oh, well, honey, if I was in there in the room with you, I'd get us a bottle of bleed and I'd get in the shower. Uh, I'd rob your back with some falafel. That cost that cost Rupert Murdoch a, a, a few tens of millions of dollars. Oh, really, honey? I like it. I love you. But, but when, uh, night after night after night, uh, Bill O'Reilly would go on the air and screech and scream and howl and shriek and moan and bleat about Tiller the Killer. Tiller the Killer. Tiller the Baby Killer. Until someone got a Second Amendment remedy out in Kansas and went and murdered Dr. Tiller for his obvious crime of being a physician and providing reproductive health care to women. At which point, of course, Bill Falafel Boy O'Reilly said, Fuck it, we'll do it live! And said, I'm just a humble... TV host for Fox News TV Radio Rwanda. I'm not in charge of who gets to watch my program. How could I possibly ever even remotely imagine that someone would listen to me scream about Tiller the baby killer day after day after day and finally go 
and murder him. And for the most part, the jurisprudence of the United States said, yeah, really, hell. But it appears that at least Judge Chutkin has a better handle on the power of some people's speech. And so she entered her extremely limited gag order. But she was careful not to give the prosecution everything that it wanted. Which provided her some insulation. Against claims of just because th- those claims will be made that she was a radical negress who hated Donald Trump because he's white. It's reverse discrimination, I'm telling you. Now, Molly Gaston said, uh, we both know that the tweet or the post about General Milley was a threat. It was a threat to him. It was a threat to all witnesses in this case. If you come after the defendant, he will come after you, Molly Gaston said, using language that Trump himself has said. If you come after me, I'll come after you. And John Loro said, well, you know, enter your stupid gag order. How are you going to enforce it? which was a way of telegraphing to his client that it would be perfectly okay for him to violate the gag order. Is your honor going to throw him in jail in the middle of a campaign? Judge Chutkin said nothing, and I can only imagine the withering, baleful glare she must have given him. And it's worth noting that one woman has already been arrested and charged with threatening to murder Judge Chutkin if she impeded Nitwit Nero's path to becoming president a second time. And again, she's protecting any potential future verdict. Because it was August when she said, nah, I'm not going to put a gag order in place here. With regard to anything but sensitive case materials that shouldn't be spoken of anyway. But I'm not going to tolerate any inflammatory statements that intimidate witnesses or prejudice potential jurors. Barbara McQuaid, who can be seen um, across media platforms quite often um, on NBC and MSNBC, for instance, former federal prosecutor and a law professor at the University of Michigan. McQuaid said, uh, uh, if Trump does not respond to monetary sanctions, she has to be prepared to cancel his bond and jail him at some point. I think I'd, br- I'd blow, if I were Judge Chutkin, I would blow right past the monetary sanctions because he may not be able to pay the money. 
as we like to say here in the hills, by the time the AG trial uh, and and its 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 de rigueur appeals is done, Tangerine Tiberius might have neither a pot in which to piss nor a window out of which to throw it. Now, as I said, a statement came out from the Trump campaign And when I read this to you, I will, of course, read it in my stupid nitwit Nero voice, because y'all seem to enjoy that, and God knows we need a giggle here and there. There is one different there's one change in the format of the email, however. Usually these things begin with statement from Donald J. Trump, forty fifth president of the actually it's statement from Do- President Donald J. Trump, forty fifth president of the United States. That's not what it says now. Statement from Trump spokesperson. And even though it sounds like me, I'm definitely not the Trump spokesperson. It's not even John Barron. It doesn't even say Steve Chung, who is literally one of Trump's spokes creeps. Statement from Trump spokesperson. Are they just going to show up in white t-shirts with black letters that say Trump spokesperson? Is he going to show up in a white T-shirt? It's going to be a very large T-shirt with black letters that says former president. Or maybe just president. You remember the sweatshirt that John Belushi wore in Animal House? College. Today's decision is an absolute abomination and another partisan knife stuck in the heart of our democracy by crooked Joe Biden. Who has granted the right to muzzle his political opponent, the leading candidate for the presidency in 2024, and the most popular political leader in America, President Donald J. Trump? President Trump will continue to fight for our Constitution, the American people's right to support him, and to keep our country free of the chains of weaponized and targeted law enforcement. <laughs> I, I love the phrasing of that. He will continue to fight for the American people's right to support him and the manner to which he has become accustomed. <sighs> Statement from Trump spokesperson. Submitted for your approval.
Oh, God. So far down the rabbit hole. Um, something someone else does. John Loro's statement. Stephen New York said, tell that to Charlie Manson. And adds, uh, you are correct, counselor. Imprisoning Mr. Trump may be difficult. Moving up the trial is not. I mean, and we talk because that's one of the remedies. If he if he proves himself absolutely committed to trying to poison the jury pool, that just means you have to have the trial sooner. All right, fellas. Oh, is it is a girl can dream? I really do want to hear. I would I would I would love to hear Judge Chutkin. Maybe maybe in chambers, if one could be a fly on a butterfly on the wall. I'd love to hear Judge Chutkin channel her inner Joan Crawford. Don't fuck with me, fellas! Moving up the trial is not impossible. Maybe, you know, instead... He could get home confinement and still be allowed to go out on the campaign trail. But instead of an ankle monitor, maybe it could maybe it could be a shock collar. You know, they make the they're they're called life vests. I have a very dear friend who had some cardiac issues and she's wearing one now. And she's got a great attitude about it. But it literally will shock your heart if your heart screws up. And there's this whopping big battery pack that rides with it. And she said, it emits a sound. She said, but I've never heard what the sound is. And someone that she works with has a really obnoxious ringtone on their phone. And every time uh, the, the, the there's an alert on uh, her her friend's phone my friend was like I don't know what this sounds like when it's getting ready to shock me but her phone goes off and I'm like oh shit I better find a place to sit down could we outfit something like that for Nitwit Nero that insane thug Jack (laughs) The prosecutor just—it's just fun to think of. By the way, Steve noting Jack Jack Smith is an insane thug. Wow! Now that is grade A champagne, top shelf restaurant quality projection. It is. Yeah, exactly, Ralph. That's how he's going to get around this, saying it's not me. It's not me. It's my spokesperson. I clearly dictated it, but this is a statement of a Trump spokesperson. I, I'm Trump. 
But I'm also a Trump spokesperson. I not only bought the company, I'm a client. Trump hair for men. Try it soon. Exactly, Ralphs. Oh, yeah, Randy. Yeah, it was also lost on Representative Steve Scalise. Without a doubt, it was. And Ralphs sent along a photo in support of a $25 challenge to get us down from $1,500. Uh, $25 contribution for the Democratic Underground Pick of the Moment. This is good. No wonder Republicans don't believe in evolution. <laughs> the March of GOP Congress. It's that old graphic that, uh, in but it's reversed. You know, it starts with the knuckle walker. And then there's a slightly more upright version, and, and and then you know like a Neanderthal, and then Homo sapiens at the end, you know, carrying a spear. Well, this one's reversed, and it's John Boner with the spear, Paul Eddie Munster Ryan carrying a flint knife, Craven McCarthy, just. You know, barely Homo erectus, and then the little and then the little knuckle walker, <laughs> Jim Jacket off Jordan. Oh, that's very good. Thank you for the giggle. And so, if somebody would like to kick in twenty five bucks, Ralphs will double it, and we will be down to fourteen fifty. Once again, the frequency of a radio station where I once worked. AM 1450, WLAY. Yes. I worked for a radio station whose call sign was LAY. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Uh, John... First cowbell of the evening goes to John, formerly of North Dakota, now of uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. I gotta think that was I gotta think that was a that was a, an upward move for you. St. Paul's uh, I hear St. Paul's a great fun a fun place to be. Hey John, it's great to hear from you. Subject line: Dole 45. Can Judge Chutkin finally get rid of this orange stain once and for all? And this is the cowbell part. After that, everyone can see Chung tonight. That's quality. <laughs> everybody, everybody, Steve Chung tonight. Who's singing? Please don't hold that against the, ch the challenge that Ralph's put forward. Pretty please. Forget about shocking Trump, says Steve in New York. Have it be something that makes his jaw close around a broccoli spear. <laughs> Which is funny because um, Mr. Golden here, the wonderful golden retriever, his favorite toy 
is a golden retriever demolition jaw chew proof great big chunk of fake broccoli. And he walks around with the, the floret end in his mouth, and he looks like he's smoking a big green cigar. Oh, what do they call the green those are Those are candela wrappers. I remember those from my cigar-smoking days. My friends, my formerly nicotine-stained fingers... Now I just smell like pineapples. When I when I uh, was doing my uh, reading and prep and everything for talking about the court hearing today, I read multiple accounts. I read the Washington Post. I read the Los Angeles Times. Uh, I read the Wall Street Journal because it's always interesting to see how the Wall Street Journal is going to spin things because, well, it's still a rapey Madoff joint. And they chose to, uh, the Wall Street Journal chose to lead with uh, something that Judge Chutkin said, uh, the reporter is Sadie German. A federal judge Monday restricted what Donald Trump can say about his election interference prosecution in Washington, saying the former president's free speech rights aren't greater than those of other criminal defendants just because he's making another bid for the White House. Imagine that. A lead line in a Wall Street Journal story that's factually accurate. Quoting Judge Chutkin at the end of a what must have been a zany two-hour hearing, and I'm just going to interject here. <laughs> I really want cameras in the federal courtrooms. Because the American people should not be forced to rely on, as good as she may be, Sadie German or any other reporter for knowing what goes on in a constitutionally created court. It's the constitutional part that's important here because it's the Constitution that begins with we the people of the United States. We, the people of the United States, have no access to any of these proceedings. Because the only way you have access to these proceedings is if you go to Washington, D.C. and get in and, and somehow manage to get in that tiny little courtroom like Marginal Trailer Queen did today. Nonetheless, here we are. At the end of the hearing, Judge Chutkin said... This is not about whether I like the language Mr. Trump uses. This is about language that presents a danger to the administration of justice. That in its own right is profound.
I cannot imagine, she said, any other criminal case in which a defendant is permitted to call the prosecutor deranged or a thug, and I will not permit it here simply because the defendant is running a political campaign. And when John Loro did try to get into that bullshit business, and, and he was doing, he was, this is, this is called taking Trump's coin. At least he hopes he's going to get Trump's coin. And therefore doing his bidding. Because John Loro, his petty fogger, said, the Biden administration is seeking to censor a political candidate in the middle of a campaign. Mr. Loro. Judge Chutkin interjected. Let me stop you. Mr. Trump is a criminal defendant. He is facing four felony charges. He does not have the right to say and do exactly what he pleases. Do you agree with that? That's when the pettifogger said, well, I mean... Uh, you said he can't talk to witnesses or try to influence their testimony, and, 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 and that's working. And that's when she laughed at him from the bench. And she was ready, and she had receipts. And she ticked off five categories of targets in which Marcus Horalius has directed his hatred, Washington, D.C. in the jury pool, the Biden administration and the Justice Department, the special counsel, Jack Smith, and his team, judges and staff, and potential witnesses. And Judge Chutkin was really not down... with Lauro's horseshit. When Lauro started braying about censorship, she said, I don't need to hear any campaign rhetoric in my courtroom. But she said, we're not going to address things like crooked Joe Biden or the Department of Injustice. Ah, because that might be too broad. Might be too broad. And to make herself abundantly clear, she said, Mr. Trump, every time she says Mr., it goes through him like like milk of magnesia. Mr. Trump may still vigorously seek public support as a presidential candidate. Debate policies and people related to that candidacy criticize the current administration and assert his belief that this prosecution is politically motivated. But those critical First Amendment freedoms do not allow him to launch a pretrial smear campaign against participating government staff, their families, or foreseeable witnesses. And his use of the word thugs sets up a real possibility of violence. But she did not say a thing about the vile, vituperous, swill, 
that he has puked about her. She didn't bring up the fact that he's called her a fraud dressed up as a judge in Washington, D.C. who is a radical Obama appointee. A biased Trump-hating judge. And by the way, Sadie Gurman in her report for the Wall Street Journal notes that the threat against Judge Chutkin should Nitwit Nero not be uh, be able to run for president should he be convicted, what have you. Those were via telephone calls to the judge's office. And what Sadie Gurman did that the Washington Post did not was to point out that those calls threatening the life of Judge Chutkin weren't just threats. No, they were coming from a maggot. So by definition, they were, therefore, racist threats. Meanwhile, and, you know, they've long since gotten to the, when you have the facts, pound on the facts, when you have the law, pound on the law, when you have neither pound on the table. This was at the table-pounding portion of the proceeding where uh, John Loro, apparently about ready to cry, said, well, really... Uh, if these prosecutors were interested in justice, that's what had happened. We'd postpone the trial till after the 2024 presidential election. That's what we would do. At which Ju- Judge Chutkin, who just handed John Loro a horrible day. I mean, I, John Loro, we're coming up on 6 p.m. in the Eastern Daylight Time Zone on this 23rd day of October 2023. Um, he may have long since had the swirly straw in a $10,000 bottle of uh, Pappy Van Rumpus or whatever. Because it's a Pappy Van Rumpus kind of day after the whipping he took. Because Judge Chutkin said, this trial will not yield to the election cycle, and we are not revisiting the trial date. And I would add, yet, but let your client thumb his nose at this order, and you'll be trying this a week from tomorrow. (sighs) That's the uh, first hour of the program. How about that? And thank you to our dear friend Christopher. Christopher got us started. Chipping in. Thank you, Christopher. So we've got uh, uh, we got 20 bucks to go on Ralph's challenge. Thank you so much, Christopher. 
and this is an effort to get us down to 1450. We were trying to get last Monday funded. And if we um, got down to 1450, we'd only have $250 to go for last Monday. Note coming in from uh, John in Central PA, subject line gag order. I disagree, Robin. I think Judge Chutkin is afraid of Trump along with every other judge. This gag order seems ineffectual. Why would he be allowed to campaign if he was on under house arrest? You kidding me? So you or I would have had our asses hauled to jail by now, but the biggest enemy to the United States Constitution and the Republic it represents is allowed to travel the country and spew his evil bullshit stochastic terrorism, which does real material harm to this democracy and decency every single time that bum opens his filthy gob. Over the weekend, and I'm going to get to that story. I guess, John says, I need to be patient for the trial, but I feel like we're watching our republic die right in front of us. Not going to blow smoke at you, John. We may be. And it's going to be in the hands of 12 jurors tried and true in Washington, D.C., and God help us all, South Florida. But she... She can't simply stuff him in jail because he's the biggest asshole of all time. Because there is no criminal statute, federal or otherwise, against being an asshole. We used to have a running gag here that if if it was if it was a wise legislature the west virginia legislature could probably take care of all crime in the in in, in the state of west virginia just by cl- passing what we used to joke about as article 99a uh, 99a1 criminal misdemeanor dumbass and article 99a2 felonious criminal dumbass and you just prove your honor look at the charges we got us a dumbass here yep guilty and it'd be good but we don't have an asshole a federal a federal asshole statute Now, a judge is not a prosecutor. A judge cannot, with extremely limited exceptions, charge anyone with a crime. He can be brought up on bond violations. But the problem is that the bond, well, we never learned what the conditions were, did we?
And so to a certain extent, her remedies are limited. But Stephen New York says Judge Chutkin is presenting a master class in inoculating herself from an appellate court overturning her. And I agree with Steve. Because the one thing you and I and all of us want is for him to be convicted and sentenced and put away for the rest of his natural-born days. For him to die in prison, clanging his little tin cup against the bars and screaming, You filthy screws! I was famed, I tells you, famed! And so if Judge Chutkin presents, if, the, if, if he's convicted, and I'm still convinced that he will be, remember, once again, there's not going to be a single Democratic witness against him, which is why he must continue to bray that Joe Biden's having him prosecuted. Joe Biden's not going to be a witness at the trial. And the proof that Joe Biden's not having him prosecuted is going to lie in the fact that his pettifogger won't even try, won't even try to call Joe Biden as a witness. Because Joe Biden has no, no relevant testimony to give. That's all. And so if there is a conviction and it goes up on appeal, one, one hopes that the judge will not give him a Steve Bannon pass and let him be out at large while the appeal is prosecuted. No, you go serve your jail time. one hopes but the record will be so clean that even if it gets into the hands of some maggot judges on the DC circuit the only way to turn him loose or to overturn the conviction will be to simply confess that well we owe him our job and the uh, jurisprudential pretzel making will be obvious for everyone to see. Uh, they don't have those qualms in Germany or France, Flavio says. If you call for the assassination of anybody, you will be arrested in Germany or France. That's called incitement. It's called incitement here, too. But the law has... Uh, has restrictions on it. The reason he's not in jail for saying Mark Milley should be shot is because he said in another time he would have been. Which language is sufficient to make clear 
that he was not conveying an active and present threat. That's how the argument goes. Words mean things. So that's the gag order story. By the way, this is a conversation program. If anyone would like to engage in any, the stress line's open. Named in honor of our dear friend, long departed Bill, Mr. Stress Miller. Stress line number is 844-843-4676. 844-THE-HORN. And of course, you can always reach the program via Skype. My Skype contact, Robin, R-O-B-Y-N, and then Kincaid Horn, K-I-N-C-A-I-D-H-O-R-N, Robin Kincaid Horn. And that'll get you right through the program. Just send me a contact request, etc. And so, like I said... Uh, hold on. No, I mentioned something earlier. I want to go to Nitwit Nero's fraud trial for a moment in southern southern Manhattan. You know, the uh, civil trial brought by New York Attorney General. Letitia James. The trial continues. Nitwit Nero has long since run away. But on the stand, Patrick Burney. This testimony was given today. Patrick Burney works for the Trump Organization. Probably not much longer. Patrick Burney is, in fact, an assistant vice president for financial operations at the Trump Organization. And while the testimony that he offered was almost dull... Quiet, monotonous, monologous. Well, under examination by a lawyer for Attorney General Letitia James's office, Bernie was asked if former chief financial officer of the Trump organization, Alan Weisselberg, ever told Bernie that the boss wanted his financial net worth to go up 
from year to year on his statements of financial condition. In other words, did the boss uh, did, did did Weisselberg ever tell you that the boss said he wanted to see himself looking richer every year? And Patrick Bernie simply said, "Yes." And that's when Chris Kyes, the pettifogger who is not counsel for the parking garage, leapt to his feet and yelled, Your Honor, I object! Uh, this, This statement must not be allowed in. It is the heart of hearsay. It's 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 funny, and I, I guess he has to make the objection. He has to know better. Because any statement made by Nitwit Nero or any other member of the Trump organization who is a party to the proceedings... It's not hearsay at all. Among other things, if you just use simple hearsay analysis, it's not hearsay because it's not being offered as proof of the matter asserted or the truth of the matter asserted. It goes to intent, among other things. But again, it's not hearsay at all because it is it is an admission of a party opponent. And party admissions fall outside the meaning of hearsay within the rules of evidence, as they're generally understood. What is that, 801D2A? Uh, Adam Klasfeld at The Messenger is reporting on it all and said, Bernie's testimony, delivered in monotone with long pauses, was certainly not theatrical. But the actual words he said were devastating to his employer, the Trump Organization, and ultimately to Donald Trump. That one word, yes. It was a torpedo below the waterline. If Nitwit Tetanero testifies, of course, he will be asked about that. No, I never said I wanted to look richer every year. Really? And it's just going to be this one day after day after day after day after day. Up until, you know, December. For those with the stomach for it, or the head for numbers, because this stuff can get pretty deep in the weeds, this is, this is to use a phrase that Steve in New York used a little bit ago, this is a master class in just how long 
the Trump Organization has been a a fraud, a scam, a scam perpetrated on the state of New York, a scam perpetrated on various lending institutions. His properties, or his properties were practically trash for tax purposes with the state of New York. Garbage heaps. But with banks, they were described as glittering palaces. Tacky AF, in my opinion, but glittering palaces nonetheless. Saw this early on, and it just made me sick. Seventy-one-year-old Joseph Suba was arraigned in Will County, Illinois. Seventy-one-year-old Joseph Suba is a landlord. In that Will County, Illinois courtroom, he was facing three counts of murder, one count of attempted murder, two counts of aggravated battery, and two counts of committing a hate crime. I felt sick all the way to the bottom of my soul reading the story the first time, and it hasn't gotten any better. Seventy-one-year-old Joseph Suba slaughtered a six-year-old boy with a knife, stabbed him to death, and grievously wounded his mama. Before he stabbed the six-year-old Wadea Al-Fayume to death, six years old, 71-year-old Joseph Suba told his mama that he was angry at her for what was going on in Israel because, you see, mother and son are Palestinians living in the United States. Little Wadea's mama, Hanan Shaheen, said, after he said, I'm mad at you for what's going on in Israel, she said, let's pray for peace then. And that's when he came after her with a knife. Seventy-year-seventy-one-year-old Joseph Suba, C Z U B A, Chuba Suba. I don't know. Well, he's married, and his wife, speaking to investigators, said her husband is an angry man. 
an angry white man. His wife Mary said he listens to conservative talk radio on a regular basis and is absolutely beside himself with hatred over what is presently taking place in that shithole over there. On October 11th, the murderer told Mrs. Shaheen that she wanted her and her little six-year-old boy to get out of the house. And that was the same day that he confronted her about what's going on in the Middle East. And this wasn't some accidental slash of that six-year-old little boy. Joseph Suba, so angry at what's taking place over there. Stabbed little Wadea Al-Fayume 26 times. His mama Hanan Shaheen tried to block him, block her little boy and protect her with her own body as mother's will. And Joseph Suba stabbed her a dozen, a dozen times. When he came in to the apartment, the landlord was screaming, You Muslims have to die! You are killing our kids in Israel! You Palestinians don't deserve to live! Now, previously, Joseph Suba had treated little Wadea like his own grandson, built him a treehouse. When little six-year-old Wadea saw him, when he saw Suba, he would run to him for a hug. just like he did that day, and he ran to him for a hug, and he stabbed that little boy 26 times. Seventy-one-year-old Joseph Suba left the knife in the little boy's belly, and it was removed at the hospital, a military-style knife with a seven-inch blade. The family came to the U.S. in a desperate attempt to flee the living hell that was their life on the occupied West Bank. 
They'd been here for a dozen years. When the cops showed up, 71-year-old Joseph Suba, having just slaughtered a six-year-old little boy and left the knife in his guts, was just sitting outside near the driveway That's all. I'm sure the National Rifle Association breathed a giant sigh of relief that it was a knife and not an AR-15. And so the morning for Wadea Alfayume Has begun. All this was in Plainfield Township. I don't know Chicago that well. I don't know Chicago at all. It's apparently about 40 miles southwest of Chicago. Merrick Garland has announced a hate crime investigation because these things have to be proven. Uh, in addition to announcing the hate crimes investigation into Joseph Suba, Authorities in Dearborn, Michigan, also said that they arrested 41-year-old Carl Mintz this past Thursday after he posted threats against Palestinians uh, in his area on social media. There was an overflow crowd at the mosque at the memorial for Wadea Alfiui. In his statement, Merrick Garland said, no one in the United States of America should have to live in fear of violence because of how they worship or where they or their family come from. Vice President Kamala Harris said it was unacceptable. This is not who we are. By the way, Wadea Alfayume was not dead at the scene. He actually lived 
until Sunday. His mama is expected to survive. I hate this. There's a bit of triggering going on. Arij Samara is a 29-year-old business owner in Chicago. Speaking to USA Today, Samara said, It's almost like this feeling we have of waking up in the morning and saying, What else do we have to prove to the world that we're not today? Because Arij Samara was remembering growing up in the United States of America after 9-11. Arij Samara went on and said, We're not monsters. Our kids have dreams and hopes just like other kids. And for that fear to follow us in our own backyard is just a different kind of unsettling feeling. Thirty-three-year-old Humera Syed sends her twenty-two-year-old to uh, a daycare at an Islamic school. She said that uh, they had received; she had received a message that had been sent to all parents of kids in the school, noting that security had been increased in the wake of the violence in the Middle East. Ms. Syed said, obviously, it's not only my school, but I know there are other Islamic schools around the area that have done the same. It's hitting very hard in our community, and they're trying to obviously protect the children however they can. just unfortunate that it's history repeating itself again, the dehumanization of Palestinians and Muslims. It's just hard to walk around thinking that these people have this feeling towards us again. Waysam Shahed is a Palestinian lawyer, a community leader in the Muslim community in Chicago. He was three years old when his family fled to Plainfield, Illinois. It was his mother and two brothers. Six members of his family in Gaza are already dead. The death toll of children in Gaza has now doubled. The last time we talked about this, it was at it was at 400. It's up to 800 now. All I can do is hope because I'm not in the praying business because I don't want anything to do with that. Mono deity. All I can do is hope that some madman out there isn't making sure that his AR-15 is in good working order and looking at schools.
Muslim schools. Any schools. Interesting. I mean, this this story, this, this story, this conflict makes me sick at my soul to even talk about, and I. But this is this is this is stochastic terrorism. These are people again. Remember, Joseph Suba was a consumer, an ingester, an imbiber of right-wing hate radio, and of course, in right-wing hate radio. There is not a there, there's there there is not even a compassionate word to be said for 800 dead Palestinian children, or God knows the thousands of adults. Who have nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. And it's getting worse, and it's going to continue to get worse. Yeah, Arnold. Right. They radicalize the people of the world from right uh, from the right to be hate-filled gunbags. And we'll take no responsibility. But if the left makes too good a po- too good a point, they'll say we're sorry. Uh, noting earlier, Arnold did. Bill O'Reilly is a TV version of Rudy Giuliani. I'm anxiously awaiting my cowbell over Giuliani. Yep. And Micah adds... Let's not let the right-wing rag media he was consuming off the hook who told him it was okay to have this rage. Beyond okay, it was appropriate. And back to John in Central PA's note. Micah says, I have to agree with the statement you're reading right now. It's obvious we have a two-tiered justice system in this country, and it makes me sick. The poor and the indigent get rigorous application of the laws and restrictions out the ass, but the wealthy and well-connected are allowed to be released on their own recognizance, even when they show they're not worthy of that discretion. So, well, it's only going to be more of the same. 
and that horrifies me. Over the weekend, and, you know, we focus on um, Psycho Bibi Netanyahu, whom his own countrymen say helped create this nightmare by his enemy of my enemy is my friend approach to making sure there was never a two-state solution. By weakening the the, the uh, Palestinian Authority and elevating Hamas in Gaza. By the way, there have been some 50 Palestinian deaths in the in uh, the occupied West Bank. Last I checked, the violence is spreading. But like I said, we tend to focus on Psycho Bibi. But he's he's not the president of Israel. The president of Israel is Isaac Herzog. And over the weekend, the president of Israel, Isaac Herzog, said that all citizens of Gaza... From the oldest down to a baby, a, 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 a Gazan baby suckling at its mother's breast. All citizens of Gaza are responsible. At a press conference on Friday, Herzog said, "Is an entire nation out there that is responsible?" It's not true, this rhetoric about civilians not being aware, not involved. It's absolutely not true. They could have risen up. They could have fought against that evil regime which took over Gaza in a coup d'etat. No mention of the guy who gave a pass for them to have the money to do the coup d'etat. Because that's not a Palestinian. That's Bibi Netanyahu. A reporter asked Isaac Herzog to uh, give a little more context because based on what President Herzog had said, that uh, the reporter said that makes them by implication legitimate targets. At which point, realizing what he just said, President Isaac Herzog said, oh, no, 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 uh, I didn't say that. Uh, but he couldn't leave it at that. President Herzog then said, when you have a missile in your goddamn kitchen and you want to shoot it at me, am I allowed to defend myself? 
I read that and I kind of wondered how that works. How do you fire? It's not a missile. It's a rocket. There's a technical difference. How, do, how does that work? How, how do you launch the missile from your kitchen window in your teeny tiny little apartment in Gaza City or wherever? How, how do you do that and not set the kitchen on fire or perhaps blow the building up? Can anybody help here? It was a whole press conference, and it was a hot mess. And Isaac Herzog said, oh, yeah, backing up a little bit. Ah, of course, there are many, many innocent Palestinians who don't agree to this, but unfortunately in their homes there are missiles shooting at us at my children. So apparently Gaza is just one great big Sophie's choice. And so something like 1.1 million people in Gaza are being told, hey, uh, go down there. Leave everything that you have and go down there. Fabrizio Carboni is the Near and Middle East Regional Director for the International Committee of the Red Cross, issued a statement and said that collective punishment of civilians and taking of hostages by Hamas, collective punishment of civilians by Israel and taking of hostages by Hamas are violations of international humanitarian law, both of which are true. This is one of those situations where there are no good guys. Carboni said, we are now in contact with Hamas and Israeli officials as part of the efforts on this issue. As a neutral intermediary, we stand ready to conduct humanitarian visits, facilitate communication between hostages and family members, and to facilitate any eventual release. There aren't a hell of a lot of voices speaking up for the innocents here. Mark Pocan of Wisconsin was one. He said, I get Herzog wanting to go after Hamas. And I think everybody else, I think everybody else does. He added, but, internet, but international standards must apply. Protection of innocence must be respected. And unrealistic demands like moving 1.1 million people in 24 hours is ridiculous. Israel will lose public support and hurt innocent people. There's nothing about this that isn't awful.
just uh, last Thursday, the IDF said that they already dropped more than 6,000 bombs on Gaza. By the way, half of the 2.2 million residents of Gaza, half, are children. The one lone power plant in Gaza ran out of fuel on the 11th. The U.S. government is desperately trying to get Egypt to open the border crossing so that Americans can get out of Gaza who want to get out of Gaza. No no emergency aid flights from Florida for them. Oh, let's see. Oh, goodness me. How time flies. Let's uh, go over and check in on the stress line. Hey, welcome to the program. Robin, you don't know how many times in the last half hour I almost hung up. I'm awfully glad you didn't. Um, I want to I let the Horn Family Community Congregation know I'm now able to hold some food down. Good. And that's great. After three weeks, that's a load off my mind. But all this shit going on in Israel and in, in Gaza and, and a murder of a six-year-old boy I'm going to have to step away from the news for a while. So for some self-care, and you know I'm all about encouraging people to take care of themselves. I know you are too. I'm going to be stepping away for a, a little bit. I won't be calling in as often. I'll continue to write you and let you know how things are going. Please feel free to share uh, but uh, I am so angry right now with Hamas and with Bibi and his bunions. Um, that I could spit nails rather. I'm not saying that he had a direct hand in it or me knew of it beforehand, but he damn well should have. The Israeli intelligence services are not amateurs. For Christ's sakes, they got Adolf Eichmann and brought him to Israel for trial. 
Mengele? No, 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 no. Adolf Eichmann. No, no, no. I get that. I mean, I'm just pointing out there was more than one. No, Mengele died in South America. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yes. Mengele died in South America. I mean, they've they they they've gone and found. I mean, remember, remember John Demjanjuk. Yeah, he was he was working in Indiana. Mm-hmm. He was an auto worker in Indiana. I think they eventually. Uh, they didn't execute him, but I think he spent a few years in prison. Um, but this asshole who killed a six-year-old little boy. And you know what the, the weird thing is, Robin? This landlord, the one who bitching and moaning about well, you're, you're Muslim, you're Palestinian, you should die, built a treehouse for this six-year-old little boy. Yeah, that's the part of the story that just kills me. Probably bad work. Probably and this wrong little boy had nothing but love in his heart and just wanted to be a little boy. What six-year-old boy, none that I know of, would not be thrilled over a treehouse where they could take all their boyhood treasures? And, you know, yeah, and, it's, and, and he's a six-year-old bo- little boy with no grandpa, and this guy acted like a grandpa. And the little boy loved him. There's going to, if there's a hell around him, there's going to be a special spot in it for a guy like that. Well, that's the problem. There isn't. Yeah, I know. I know. But I I did get a hold of an old friend of mine today. That's why I missed the first third of the, uh, the program. And, well, he's been in uh, in Paris the last few months. Uh, he has a hobby where he uh, he makes stained glass windows, and he was approached with a few people that he works with on these windows, and uh, he was asked by the French government to help restore the stained glass in Notre Dame. Oh, wow. Using, because I, I told him, I said, is it true you couldn't use modern techniques? He goes, yeah, we had to use, we had to use the medieval method. He said, uh, what really freaked him out is he was, he was dealing with 500 year old pieces of stained glass. I said, well, I don't mean to, to make your, uh, your angst a little more, but the red glass was so expensive because they used gold in it to color it. And how about that? And, how, well, well, how about that? And and of course, you're in Taliban, Indiana, the home of Red Gold Tomato Company. I. I didn't exactly jump to that connection, Robin, but you're the foodie more so than I am, so I'll defer. Well, I just never knew that they used gold to create the red color in stained glass. Yeah. 
Medieval stained glass has gold in it. That's why they were so expensive. And there was a reason that when the cathedral at church was built, it was the first Gothic cathedral, and that was the first time a, a large amount of stained glass was used because the designer of the cathedral wanted to transport the worshiper into an otherworldly, like they were walking into an otherworldly place where, where they knew they weren't exactly on earth, but they weren't exactly in heaven either. They were somewhere in between. And that's why the Gothic churches are a lot airier there. And and the windows are larger, but I told him I said I am I, I am proud uh, I I'm so proud of them for working on that project. He said he was there for three months. They paid him well, and they put him up in Paris for three months. He didn't have to lift a finger. He said the French were extremely friendly, especially when they found out that. He was helping to restore the uh, the cathedral. Oh, I can imagine. And uh, I was like, you know, Jason, you can tell your friends and family. I worked on that church. I helped restore it. And while there are thousands of people who were doing it, he had his little part. And uh, that's the kind of thing that makes me feel good. I'm not, I am in no wise religious. However, I can appreciate, I can appreciate a place like Notre Dame. I can appreciate the reason it was built. I can appreciate the historical things that have happened there. And I think that made me step back a little bit today and think about what's going on in Israel or in D.C. And I keep thinking to myself, this is going to pass. I heard one uh, IDF spokesperson Say, well, the Jewish people have been under siege for 2,500 years. I'm waiting for them to invade Rome to teach the Romans who their God is. Oh, dear. If they're going to carry grudge that long, you know, are they going to, you know, go, go marching down the middle of, of downtown Rome, maybe march up to the back and knock on the Pope's door and go, Hey, Frank, come on out here. We need to talk. First, why the yarmulke? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But, Cultural appropriation. But, uh, so I, I am going to be stepping back for a while. But I will let you all know. And I, I felt like I need to let folks in the community 
no, yes, I'm okay. No, I didn't disappear off the face of the earth. And nothing bad has happened. And I, I didn't want people out there, because I know a lot of people look forward to my calls, uh, especially Scary Jerry. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, no people uh, love that. They like, yeah, and, and people enjoy our conversations. Love you know, and so for those of you who do enjoy my conversations with Robin, I'll get back to them as quickly as I can. Oh, you have to take but care right of you. Now, I need to take care of my, I need to take care of myself. And um, if we're going to have this conversation years and years into the future, it needs to be done. So, for Scary Cherry or Tracy or any of you others out there, Jude, especially Jude, don't worry about me. I'm doing well. And you will always be close to my thoughts. All of you. Well, and really, I just, that's all I've got to, I just, I've got I, to I, say. I just, I just want you to feel better. It will happen, Robin. But I'm excited about the new grandbaby. We are, too. We're on, we're, so, we're, we're on, we're on pins and needles. And... So little Miss Lucy is going to make her grand entrance, and sounds like she's already at Grand Dame. You know, keeping everybody on pins and hooks about when she's going to make that bold announcement. But a girl has her, you know, that that's her choice. Yeah, and you know. she, you know, she makes she makes her appearance exactly when she decides the time is right. Right. And I wish you all the best. You'll definitely hear from me before Christmas. Okay. Oh, and today, let's see, my mother was born in 1947. I, I hate making you do uh, arithmetic this late in the program, Robin. But, you know, she died a few years ago, but... I'm thinking she'd be well into her 70s by now. Mm, 76. If she was still here. 76. 76. I ciphered that on the fly while you were talking. Well, I am so proud. And you didn't have to count on your fingers and toes. Boots are still on. <laughs> Good girl. I am impressed. By that mathematical equivalent of Sean Sonic's review. Anyway, Robin, take care of yourself. And to the whole family community, relax. It'll all come through, hon. It'll all come through. I even got into an argument with the blessed Christian this week, but I won't go into that. Oh, well, okay, but it, it just just while we're doing the general check-in, is, Christi, uh, is Christine smooth, okay? It has, been, it has been smoothed over. Okay, but is Christine okay? She's fine. Oh, she's in. She's taking Tai Chi now. Get the f- out. No, ma'am, I am serious. She is taking Tai Chi. Every Monday, she has a Tai Chi class that the VA pays for. 
at the uh, at the Y. They have a Tai Chi for veterans, and she is in there. And they've got a program for uh, walking outdoors, you know, like in wooded trails and things. And she's wanting to do that too. There's no keeping our girl down. Apparently not. You know, she, <laughs> she said, "I might not ever use a guide dog, but if I got a group of people I'm walking with, I'll feel plenty safe." So, yeah, that that's where Christine's at right now. And my friend and I are going to be getting together for lunch here in the next few weeks. And my friend Jason and I are going to get together in a few weeks for lunch. And we're going to catch up. And I'm going to see if Christine wants to talk to him. They they, uh, they didn't get along well in his younger days. But it's been several years. And he does seem to have matured. So I will let you know uh of the of the high points and um, if I don't talk to you before congratulations on the newest grandbaby and and, and keep cooking because that seems to be something that relaxes you it does it's good for me uh, I've got and I'm I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to do more things that bring me joy. Um, I need to get that smoker issue sorted out. It's amazing how two little machine screws, sheet metal screws, can just screw you up. I would have been making barbecue. Yeah. I would have been making barbecue by now. I wanted to have barbecue ready to go by Bridge Day, which is Saturday. Not looking promising, but I'm tell. Okay, we're going to do this before you go. First of all, um, Stephen New York has a correction. The Pope doesn't wear a yarmulke; he wears a zucchetto. I think zucchetto is Italian for yarmulke. Sorry. Uh, okay. Okay. I had an Orthodox. I had an Orthodox Jewish rabbi as a friend who died several years ago, and he called what the Pope wore a yarmulke. Well, that's so. because if it because if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's generally a duck. That's a yarmulke. <laughs> because you know what? There aren't. I don't think there are any depictions in ancient Rome, Steve, uh, <laughs> of the Pontifex Maximus wearing a little cap to cover his bald spot. No, often he would wear a hood. A, and, a, a velvet hood. Mm-hmm. And let us remember that none other than Gaius Julius Caesar was, in fact, Pontifex Maximus. That's why uh, Julius Caesar lived in public housing all of his adult life. I mean, that's literally what it was called, the Domus Publica, the public house. It was attached to the uh, Temple of the Vestal Virgins. And some of its remains yet stand. They, uh, and I've never seen a, well, I've never seen a depiction of Caesar wearing a college freshman beanie or anything. Uh, with uh, Julius Caesar's reputation, I'm sure there were stout armed guards and uh, you know large wooden. Uh, 
boards pulling the uh, vessels in of an evening uh, from the inside just to protect their virtue. Um, Drew was a, 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 a three ball tomcat. Oh, but, uh, and, and by the way, you did, you mentioned cooking and food porn. It does bring me joy. Um, I've recently discovered this, these packages of shaved ribeye. And I made, in fact, after I got off air on Friday, I went into the kitchen and, uh, checked in with Annette and I said, how would you feel? Cause at that hour of the night, uh, a, a full on Philly cheesesteak, you know, the long hoagie roll, or, you know, no. It's just too much. So I had a package of that shaved ribeye, and I had some onion, and I had some green peppers, and I had some mushrooms, and I had some cheese. And I, uh, I, I did I did that ribeye up on my my iron griddle, and instead of the instead of I, I use instead of the full on you know long roll, I used little Kaiser buns. And made little tiny Ooh. little tiny cheesesteaks. Oh man, that sounds great. <laughs> and I toasted I toasted the I toasted the Kaiser rolls in the on the on the grid. My, a friend of mine and I a friend of mine and I used to every Friday night when we would uh, game at his place. He would bake up those rolls, you know, like the baguettes. Yeah. And he'd bring home he'd bring home lunch meats from the deli at Kroger where he worked, and we'd have deli and cheese. Oh, those are so good when you make them yourself. Tables. And it was an every Friday thing, and I'd get half a loaf, and he'd get half a loaf, and we were stuffed by the time we were done, and we weren't skimping on the fixings either. Oh no, that's and what I, that's what that, yeah, yeah, that's what I that's what I did with these. I you know, I I I griddled I griddled the beef with the onions and the mushrooms and the and the and the grill pe- and the green peppers and I seasoned it with a blend of uh, uh pensies and umami seasoning and uh McCormick's Montreal steak seasoning. Toss that all together. I'm gonna go in a corner just listening to this shit, Robin. And and then hit it with some Worcestershire sauce, and just put it under a dome and let it kind of steam and the cheese melt and everything. And I had a I, I had a, a last remaining fresh Mennonite tomato. I was Ooh. a heavenly little sandwich at you know ten thirty at night. Not the best well, time I, for me I, to be I, knocking you, those you down. I've watched a lot of YouTube cooking spots, and there's this guy down in Texas who keeps pronouncing it "wash your sister's off." Yeah, yes. Okay. Uh, But yeah, I need to do more cooking. I, I, I. Sadly, the microwave has been in my existence for a couple of years, and I know better. But um, maybe I'll do that while I'm on hiatus. 
Maybe. And by the way, you got a note. You got a note from Jude. Uh, Jude said, "May Dave experience safe travels on this period of silence as he is being enfolded." Bless you, Jude. Thank you. That means so much. It really does. It really does. So to all of you, I love you. I'll speak with you soon, hopefully sooner rather than later, but definitely by the end of the year. Well, we'll be thinking about you. Just check in in and let me know how you're doing, Dave, please. Have a safe and joyous holiday season, no matter what you celebrate or how you celebrate. Find a reason. All right, Robin. All right, Dave. You take care of yourself, honey, okay? I I will. Bye. 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 I really want Dave to be okay. I need Dave to be okay. I need all of us to be okay. Our our hearts ache. And the wounds are raw. And I'm trying to be careful with my words. I don't understand. And this is genuine. Everything I do here is genuine, unless I'm clowning around, but you know that. I don't understand how... I don't understand how Russia can roll over an entire country of innocent civilians in Ukraine and... Some of us got upset. I think most of us got upset. They used a lot of the same tactics that Hamas used when they invaded Ukraine. And it's gone on for two years now. But no one seems nearly as invested in that conflict, which has far more possibility of turning into something hellaciously worse. Because the minute that Putin gets froggy and decides to step over into Poland or one of the Baltic states, the NATO treaty kicks in. Balloon goes up and shit goes uh, shit goes bad real fast. I'm worried about this country. Really worried. We had a pandemic and it's almost like some of us have forgotten it. But we had deep 
conversations about it as it was coming, as it was coming on, as it was happening. And I remember how we talked about, apparently, this is not the same country that was able to win World War II. Because we couldn't even agree that it would be a good idea not to get the fucking disease and die from it. And a million Americans are dead as a result. A million plus. People are still dying of COVID. In fact, for all intents and purposes, Louisiana has a new governor now. Louisiana, like California, only not like California, uh, has a jungle primary. And so, and, and, and I'm trying not to engage in hyperbole here, an entirely toxic asshole, the Attorney General of Louisiana, a dude named Jeff Landry, won that jungle primary, and the Democratic Party barely, if even barely, put up token resistance. You'll recall that a billionaire backer of Jeff Landry recently demanded his money back when he found out that Jeff Landry had hired Corey Lewandowski. Was it Corey Lewandowski? Uh, or some other uh, toxic maggot functionary, uh, hired him as a political consultant, and he, in turn, had sexually assaulted the billionaire's now ex-wife in a bar in Arizona. Classy. But there is no doubt that Jeff Landry is an extremist, a maggot extremist, And he spent his time in office barking and bellowing and grunting about the coronavirus vaccine and about wearing masks. Along the way, he also referred to climate, uh, cli- uh, the climate crisis as a hoax, even though he was the attorney general of a state that is drowning under the climate crisis. He joined other attorneys general in a suit in 2020 trying to overturn the results of the 2020 election. He sued the Biden administration over COVID vaccinations for federal contractors. He opposed stricter vaccine requirements at the Louisiana State University. He sent a flunky to a university meeting where vaccines were under discussion. And when he sent that flunky, a tenured journalism professor 
at the university went on what was then still known as Twitter and said Louisiana AG Jeff Landry sending some flunky to the LSU faculty senate meeting today to read a letter letter attacking COVID vaccines is quite the move from a guy who considers himself pro-life. Well, in in addition to being a maggot fascist extremist, those are, I consider Jeff Landry at that point to be over-described. Uh, Jeff Landry is also terribly, terribly thin-skinned and said, well, this type of disrespect and dishonesty has no place in our society, especially at our flagship university by professor. I hope LSU takes appropriate action soon. So today, uh, the Guardian had the story. Robert Mann, the journalism professor in question, at the leading journalism school in Louisiana, the Manship School of Mass Communication at LSU, quit. Uh, posting on Shitter, Professor Mann said, I have this morning informed my dean that I will step down from my position at LSU at the end of the school year. My reasons are simple. The person who will be governor in January has already asked LSU to fire me, and I have no confidence the leadership of this university would protect the Manship School against a governor's efforts to punish me and other faculty members. I've seen too much cowardice and appeasement from top LSU officials already. That being the case, it's clearly best to remove myself from the equation to avoid any harm to the school I love. I'll add that I've suspected for the past two years it would come to this, so I've been making plans for some time. The minute that I knew Landry wanted me fired and was willing to call the university president to demand it, I knew there would be dark days for LSU if he won. And there will be. And it's not just for LSU. Dark days are coming for the state of Louisiana. John Bell Edwards, who has been governor for the last eight years and is term limited out, a Democrat, in his uh, seven and a half years so far as governor of the state of Louisiana, has issued 319 vetoes in order to keep the maggot legislature frothing at the mouth, rabid as they are, in check. He vetoed a bill that would have uh, uh, would have canceled out compulsory COVID vaccinations in Louisiana schools, and he also vetoed Louisiana's own "Don't Say Gay" bill, a carbon copy of the one promulgated by Ron Monkey up to Clantis and his little pet legislature in uh, Tallahassee. as well as, you know, the usual suspects, uh, med- medical bans for trans kids and 
bathroom bills and the weird things that straight, cis, het, pasty-faced, doughy, white maggots seem to be fascinated with. Going to be, it's about to get, it. well, Louisiana is about to turn into Florida. And by the way, just a reminder, uh, in, uh, over in East Virginia, they're getting nearer and nearer to a, a legislative race in which every House seat and every Senate seat is up. And if the maggots take, maggots take control of the legislature, It'll be Katie Bar the door, and Glenn Youngkin, who everybody, you know, by everybody I mean uh, Repub- uh, non-anti-Trump Republicans say, well, we could run him for president. I mean, look, he ran a hedge fund, and 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 he's not, you know, he doesn't appear to be a robot like Monkey Up does. And <laughs> by the way, that's the le- that's the other obsession that Nitwit Nero has. Uh, his uh, his ga- his gang of creeps have been sending out daily kiss of death countdown emails. Because uh, at some point in time, August twenty fourth, twenty twenty three, Jeff Rowe gave Ron DeSanctimonious sixty days to beat Trump. You know, it's interesting, Nitwit Nero's campaign can't refer to him as monkey up because well <laughs> Nitwit Nero is as big a racist as Monkey Up is. Jeff Rowe gave Ron Sanctimonious uh, 60 days to beat Trump. With a little more than one week left, Ron DeSanctimonious is hell-bent on hitting rock bottom. FEC, FEC reports were made public on Sunday, and Ron DeSanctimonious has some explaining to do. In just the quarter alone, DeSanctus spent over $1.5 million on private jet travel amid cratering poll numbers, laying off staffers, and resetting his campaign for the fifth time. Contrast that with President Trump's dominating fundraising numbers powered by the grassroots and everyday Americans. It's fundraising, <laughs> otherwise known as a graft. It's clear there's only one candidate who can beat crooked Joe Biden in 2024. Uh, So it says it came from Donald J. Trump for president, but it doesn't say a statement by. This one doesn't even say a statement by a Trump spokesman. Jude says, Dave's okay, no matter what. There's a compassionate essence that Dave's voice conveys to me, tender and kind. And those are great traveling companions and protectors of physical body especially. Thank you, Jude. Oh, hi, Cynthia. little food porn response. Your little, your little steak sandwiches sound wonderful. I guess I was in a similar frame of mind Saturday night and did up a ribeye sous vide style. Oh, my heavens. I've never done so. I've I got to do that. So two hours at 135 Fahrenheit and then quick seared in a hot cast iron pan with some pepper and garlic powder. And oh, my God, it was wonderful. It was so tender I could cut it with a butter knife. 
I didn't eat the whole thing all at once. I saved half or so and had the rest as steak and eggs the following morning. That's the perfect thing to do. Talk about hedonistic. But, you know, while you can spend plenty on a ribeye, I got it on sale at Safeway for six ninety-seven a pound. Not too bad as cost on a budget goes. No, that's no, that's wonderful. But gosh, you know, Cynthia says there's so much horror in the world that I would go crazy and insane if I couldn't find a moment to enjoy something about life. Well, I do find pleasure in a good meal once in a while. It was good. I bet it was. And I, it got me thinking. I usually try to make a big pot of chili around Bridge Day. And I looked at Annette and I said, hey, how does this sound for an idea? Make the usual great big pot of chili that for this time of year. A lot of times when I make it, and I've got a functioning smoker, I'll smoke an entire brisket and take a part of that and just chop it up real fine and use that instead of ground beef and use the use the broth and the, everything that comes off the smoked brisket as part of the chili base. <laughs> Believe me, it's good. But instead of that, maybe this time through, I think I'll get some of that sha- a, a few packages of that shaved ribeye. And do it, you know, do it on the cast iron griddle and chop it up real fine. Again, with the onions and the green peppers and the chili peppers and the jalapenos and the serranos. And build it up that way because I got ambitious this weekend and I puttered around in the kitchen and I cleaned out the spice cabinet. And I found a bag of Mayakoba beans. And so I'll soak those and cook them and use them in the chili. And the other thing I did yesterday, I told Chris in Germany about this. Uh, Up at the Wiggling Pig, they had uh, some really good fresh bratwurst in the case in their uh, 5 for 25 special. You can get five packages of meat for 25 bucks. The trick there is you look for the heaviest packages. But these were really pretty brats, and so I got them, simmered them in beer for a little while, and uh, poked them as they simmered so the grease would uh, release. didn't want to rhyme. Sometimes it happens. And then seared them, uh, seared them on the griddle, and made an authentic German currywurst sauce. And so we had we had good German currywurst and cut it in slices, eat it with a toothpick. It's fun. And the currywurst sauce was amazing. I learned a neat little trick. And that's this. The currywurst sauce recipe begins with ketchup. Not a big fan of ketchup, but eh. but the recipe called for and if any and, and I'll bet maybe Roger in Oregon knows the answer to this food chemistry question. There, I don't know necessarily what purpose it served, but you were you started the recipe by slowly heating to the bubbling lava stage a cup of ketchup and then you added 
a half a teaspoon of baking soda and started stirring it vigorously. And it was some fun kitchen chemistry because that baking soda hit the ketchup and I guess reacted with the acid in the ketchup and started bubbling and foaming. And, you know, I was, I, I, I was halfway to uh, Gene Wilder. It's alive! And event, you start and start and start, and eventually it dies down, and then you add the rest of the ingredients, and the next thing you know, you got curry burst. Uh, but it was really good. And it was just nice little kind of gray Sunday puttering and puttering around the house food. And between that and the homemade pimento cheese that I made, I don't know, somewhere, somewhere Tracy's cringing. But it was pretty damn good. So I, I get what you're talking about, Cynthia. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta unplug for a minute and just take a little time and pretend we live in a normal world. Perfectly, absolutely, entirely, totally ordinary world. Uh, yeah, thank you for the link, Ralphs. Uh, I looked at no, those were not uh, those weren't the screws. But I am going to go and search again. The, they will send me the screws. I just have to find the serial number on the pieces of the smoker that are out there. It's all, it's all so, uh, it's all so complicated. Because once the screws were lost, we packed it away. And now i got to unpack and whatever. Uh, by the way, we are uh, trying to at least get down to 1450 There's 20 bucks to go on Ralph's um, Democratic Underground graphic of the day the progress of Congress no the march of Congress funny oh and a little uh, a little pop culture I had not seen that thank you Dave number 11 Donald Fagan is reportedly out of the hospital. Dave and I are, of course, big Steely Dan and Donald Fagan fans. Donald Fagan is reportedly out of the hospital. Steely Dan was out in support of the Eagles' final tour, and according to trumpet player Michael Leonard, Leonard, Linhart, five members of the Dan Band got COVID. Donald Fagan was admitted to an undisclosed hospital for treatment. Steve Miller and then Cheryl Crow have replaced Steely Dan on the tour. There were no press releases regarding Mr. Fagan, but we can assume the Rona would put a 75-year-old lifelong smoker in the hospital. There are no immediate plans for Steely Dan to rejoin the Eagles tour. Yeah, another reminder of why I'm glad that at the tender age of 57, I became a non-smoker after having been one since the much far tenderer age of 14. Don't miss them. But every now and then you get a whiff. Most of the time a cigarette just smells like garbage to me, but every now and then that 
Virginia Burley and a fine mix of exotic blended tobaccos from foreign lands. And it hits just right, and you go, oh. But I'd probably barf up a lung if I even tried. And I have no urge to uh, try. So, with the blood and the misery and the damnation and the death. Uh, oh, thank you, Steve. Steve from Georgistan. Brother Bishop Steve, all-around great guy. Great show, Robin, says Steve. Big shout-out for the court coverage of the orange one at the top of the show. Thank you. To say it was buried, uh, the lead was buried would be an understatement. The mentality of the masses is, if it's not on the TV, it didn't happen. Most of the two big cable news <coughs> liberal <coughs> networks are barely covering the house being rudderless. They give it about a five-minute blurb at the bottom of the hour that stated when CNN gave their coverage of the leaderless house, they actually stated that Jim Jackadoff Jordan is gaining ground. Uh, there's a reason they said that, because I got a Reuters uh, wire service story here. Hardline Republican Jim Jordan picks up support and bid for House Speaker. CNN's implication is Jackadoff may even have a chance of being seated as the Speaker. I suspect they're trying to create a horse race mentality as usual. Yeah, ratings. Walk me off the ledge, my friend. I need your insight on this, for if Jackadoff does garner the votes needed, we will quickly go from bad to worse. Talk soon. Steve from Georgia, Stan. Um, Steve, I'm, I'm not going to talk you off the ledge. I'm going to crawl out there and ask you if you'll just uh, pass, me that, pass me that bottle of Old Panther and maybe take a pull on it. Can't, uh, can't, it's not like back in the bad old days when me and Sister Carol would sit out on the ledge and flick cigarette butts at the, mag, uh, the red maggot hats below. It was always funnest when it would land on, land on a maggot's hat and it wouldn't have felt it. And A little bit later you'd hear the yell when it burned through the cheap-ass polyester. The best I can do, Steve... Is to suggest to you that my that I'm yeah they haven't they haven't called my bet yet uh, at the uh, tawdry little tawdry little betting parlor uh, uh, in London where I place my wagers. Those guys will take bets on two birds on a wire. Okay, I mean anything. But my bet is that. There is no inclination to have an actual Speaker of the House whatsoever. And I think it's at least supported by some logic. Now, it is true, and, and like I said, I have a Reuters wire service story in front of me here, that uh, his opposition from 55 lawmakers has been whittled down uh, Jacket off Jordan talking to reporters said, I feel real good about the momentum we have. We're going to elect a speaker tomorrow. A speaker. Uh, he wrote a letter, Jacket off did, to Republicans and said, 
The principles that united as a Republican are far greater than the disagreements that divide us. Uh, Three maggots flipped. Ann Wagner, Mike Rogers, and Ken Calvert. They said they had talked to Jacketoff about their concerns. But nobody, nobody seems to be able to whip a vote count on this. And uh, uh, Representative Chip Roy of Dribbling Dick, Texas, said, I don't have an exact head count, but my gut tells me we're somewhere south of 10 who are still being recalcitrant. Problem is, he can only lose four Republican votes if he wants to get to 217. Remember that when it was between him and Steve uh, Pillsbury Proud Boys Galise. Thank you, Joy. The final vote tally was 113 to 99, which by my poor ciphering effort says that the tally of those who voted that day was 212, which is five south of 217. It's a mess. Now, now that I'm out there with you on the ledge, Steve, let me just add that, like I said, I don't think they want a speaker. These butt-hurt little maggots are really pissed off that the government is even actually still open. Because it's kind of like what I used to say about the Green Party. and various iterations of the Green Party. And I'm not trying to piss anybody off. We're going back to the 2016 purity wars and before. They don't want to govern. They want to piss and moan. Governing is hard damn work. And this particular gang... wanted a shutdown, wanted us to be in one now, and damn sure hope that by the time that November 17th rolls around, we will be in one, and that will be the Republican holiday gift to everyone in America. TSA workers not getting paid, the military not getting paid, congressional staff not getting paid, the FBI not getting paid. Border Patrol not getting paid. Everybody has to show up to work, but they don't get paid. But the maggot vandals in Congress who want to do all this, they're going to keep getting paid. Uh, that uh, leading light of legislative <sighs> wisdom Anna Pavel Laguna, R. Flossed in Paradise, said, Make sure you're watching C-SPAN and see what your rep does. 
And uh, well, remember, they were supposed to have a floor vote for Speaker last week, and they scampered off. They want a shutdown, Steve. And if they do a shutdown on November 17th and there's no speaker, or if Jim Jacketoff Jordan is speaker, they'll do a shutdown. Because, again, he isn't there to govern. He is there to create chaos. And a shutdown is pure chaos. That's what this is all about. If he becomes speaker, there won't be regular order. If he becomes speaker, there won't be uh, there won't be a continuing resolution. If he becomes speaker, there will be a shutdown. If he does not become speaker, there will be a shutdown. There is one obvious avenue to governing. And that is to find five or six Republicans who actually want to honor their oath to the Constitution more than they might want to. And and look, you know, everybody takes it as a given that any Republican who would work with the Democrats is automatically going to lose. That ain't necessarily so. Those 17 or so Republicans from districts that Biden won in 2020 can go back and say, hey, The government's open for business. People are getting paid. The economy's not in a tailspin because I cared more about you and I cared more about the government and I cared more about my oath to the Constitution than I did about myself or some nebulous idea of party. Now, will this work on people who pick their teeth with their toenail clippings? Probably not. But it might it might save those seats that had people in it who went, yeah, I'm voting for Joe Biden, but I'm also going to walk, uh, vote for this guy who picks his teeth with his toenail clippings. I think it's pretty good analysis. Disagree? Uh, let me know, Steve. Uh, Cynthia with a note. Um. Uh, thanks for the link. I need, yeah, for the sous vide machine. That looks so fun. Uh, our buddy Bob Lottie, gone but not forgotten, was the first great apostle of sous vide uh, that I recall on this program. Another one missed. Uh, thank you both to Kevin in Massachusetts and to an anonymous friend. Uh, Ralph's challenge is met. And we're at middle of the month bill paying time again. Got everything cleared away, so we're just pay, you know, because we actually finished September fully funded. And so now we're just keeping, you know, we're just keeping up and trying to avoid disaster 
you know, ordinary disasters, not the great big unmanageable ones. Thank you to our anonymous friend, and thank you, Kevin. So that actually gets us down to 1430. That means we got $230 to go to finish fundraising for, you know, last Monday. So thank you. Thank you both very kindly. Oh, and in the middle of uh, all of this, a threat has been levied. Yes, I mean it. George Anthony DeVolder, Charles the Bad, Henry the Second Santos, has said that, by God, if he doesn't get his way, he'll quit Congress. Not much more to the story than that. I mean, last week he was howling around the halls of Congress, melting down. You'd melt down, too, if you'd just gotten a superseding indictment with ten brand new felonies on it. But I looked at the story and I said, where's the downside? Don't threaten me with a good time. Makes you kind of wonder what kind of a man Jim Jacketoff Jordan is. No, nobody wonders what kind of a man Jim Jacketoff Jordan is. Not at all. So again, Christopher and Kevin and our kind anonymous internet friend, uh, thank you for getting us down there to 1430. And... uh, Just this. This says uh, more about me. Oh, uh, uh, well, we've opened the, sous, the, the sous vide topic. Suman says, if you want good sous vide, try the latest version of the Instant Pot on Amazon. You get a pressure cooker, air fryer, yogurt maker, rice maker, and a couple of other features in the same gadget. You know, we gave our air fryer to Berg and all. Bergen the family, they have a lot more use for it. But um, yeah, which which one is that instant pot? Is there a particular version? Uh, Randy Radar says now cover the second guy from Tennessee, Andy Ogles. Hey, there's nothing to cover. He's just bouncing around out there, being the fraud that he is, and probably says his prayers daily and nightly for the presence of George Anthony DeVolder. (laughs) Emperor Pakal of Tikal... Santos, I'm running out of I'm running out of obscure rulers, y'all. Yeah, he's just a fraud. 
we've ta- I, we, I covered him months and months and months ago, Randy. Now, like I said, this story has more to do with... <laughs> what would you do with this headline? This is from Agence France Press. Georgia's top court clears move to remove president. And I confess, because blonde, I looked at that headline a long time before I realized that they were talking about the former Soviet satellite state, Georgia, you know, home of Stalin, and not Georgia. Because because I, I had to just sit there and let the wheels turn long enough to send some smoke out my ears. To re- because we live in a world now where some maggot Supreme Court might conceivably issue a ruling saying, "Yo, you know what? Y'all y'all can remove y'all can remove Joe Biden if you want to. That's that's fine by us." But it's actually about the president, the figurehead president of. Uh, uh, of Georgia, Salome Zurabishvili. The Georgian, but still, in September, the ruling Georgian Dream Party moved to get rid of the 71-year-old figurehead president, saying she had met foreign leaders to lobby for Georgia's membership of the European in the European Union without government permission. Come on, work with me here. Would you be surprised to find out that there was a dream party in the state of Georgia? Because I wouldn't. It'd be the American dream party is what it would be. America first, it's the American dream party. But of course it's not. And, you know, one hope one hopes it's not, doesn't lead to a, Godforsaken load of bloodshed. So I guess we'll watch the we'll we'll watch the wires just to see what happens there. Oh, and uh, just for anybody who's out there thinking that. Chris Christie is a bold truth teller because he's anti-Trump. In a uh, Fox News interview a while back, uh, Chris Christie said the indictment of Nitwit Nero in Georgia by District Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis was his word, unnecessary. He said, I think this conduct is essentially covered by the federal indictment. I would have less of a problem with this if she decided, okay, I'm not going to charge Donald Trump here because he's been charged for essentially this conduct by Jack Smith. Yeah, but see there, Chris, that's where you fucked up. You know, he's a, he's a man, so necessarily he knows more than any little old woman would know.
But Fonnie Willis is oath sworn to uphold the laws of the state of Georgia. And Nitwit Nero, according to a grand jury, more likely than not violated those Georgia laws. Jack Smith doesn't have uh, Jack Smith doesn't have the jurisdiction to prosecute that violation of Georgia law. Merrick Garland couldn't order him or 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 the or the uh, U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Georgia to prosecute a violation of the Georgia RICO statute because it ain't a federal law. And this guy's ready thinks he's ready to be president. Go back to the beach. Seven dwarves. And uh, I hate to go back to this, but I don't know how not to. At least this isn't as horrific as the previous story. Um... Republicans are now, maggots, are now going hell-bent for leather to out-anti-Palestinian each other. Oh, I was wrong, Randy Radar. There is an Andy Ogles story out there, and this is it. Andy Ogles, who is a, a, a corn-pone version of of George Santos, Anthony the Boulder, Queen Bloody Mary Santos, uh, two maggots, Tom Tiffany, who was an absolute disaster in Wisconsin, and Andy Ogles of Tennessee, the corn, the corn pone Santos, they're both members of the Freedom Carcass. Uh, they've introduced a bill last week that says nobody who has a passport issued by the Palestinian Authority can enter the new 90 states of America. It's called the Gaza Act. Necessarily, Gaza stands for something catchy. Guaranteeing aggressors zero admission. Gaza. Tom Tiffany said, Yeah, the last thing America ought to do is trust identity documents issued by the radicals that oversee these territories. He doesn't even know the difference between fucking Hamas and the Palestinian Authority. And the whole reason that Hamas got all that money and got all that power was to weaken Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority, which governs the West Bank, and make sure that there was never a linkage between Gaza and the West Bank to form an independent, yet bifurcated, Palestinian state. Jesus, these people are dipshits. So Israel's told 1.1 million Gazans, Palestinian Gazans, to get the hell out, And yet nobody can leave because there aren't any cruise ships or airplanes to evacuate anybody from that abattoir. 
uh, mad at just Gates worse, said, No Gaza refugees in the new United States. We already been invaded by people from our own hemisphere. Our hemisphere. Is it all yours, Matt? You want maybe there's some underage cuties you could pay for sex. Andy Biggs just lying. You know, the, he's a maggot from Arizona and a big freedom carcasser. Well, Democrats push to take in a million Palestinian refugees is absurd. Even other Middle Eastern nations recognize the fact that terrorist cells could disguise themselves as refugees fleeing war. Why does the left want this? And then, of course, there was Monkey Up DeClantis in Iowa. Also, I will say, and I don't know what Biden's going to do, but we cannot accept people from Gaza into this country as refugees. I am not going to do that. Uh, if you look at how they behave, not all of them are Hamas, but they are all anti-Semitic. None of them believe in Israel's right to exist. None of the Arab states are willing to take, you know, any of them. The Arab states should be taking them if you have refugees. Yeah, you know, there's only one problem with that whole, the Arab states should take them in. Egyptians and Palestinians are different people. Jordan absorbed God alone knows how many dispossessed Palestinians from the 1948 Nakba onward. And, well, Palestinians, Arabs, Jews are all Semitic peoples. So is Monkey Up, with his Harvard education, no less, saying that uh, Palestinians hate themselves? Because if you're anti-Semitic, if you're, a Palestine, if you're Palestinian and you're anti-Semitic, you hate yourself because you are a Semite. They might be anti-Zionist. They might be anti-Israel. But no. Anti-Semitic? Recalculate working. What a dipshit. They're all dipshits. But, you know, if you're a Republican... Uh, the good money is on uh, playing to the hate that fuels the entirety of your base. <laughs> okay, second cowbell. That's for George and, Car- and Corskull. Chris Christie can't go back to the beach. The other beachgoers keep pushing him back into the water. <laughs> hmm. I thank you, Steve. Steve says your analysis is spot on, my friend. That's why your insight is much needed and appreciated. And added, uh, oh, sweet little Kenley the dog sent, uh, sent you 20 beans, went out in the yard and dug them up. Thank you, Kenley. Kenley's a very good baby, yes. I'm hopeless around puppies and kittens. So we're now down to fourteen ten. Uh, Two hundred and ten dollars left from last Monday. Thank you, Steve, Miss Karen, little Kenley. 
Wow. Uh, where did... Where'd the program go? Oh, one last thing. Uh, You know, Nitwit Nero got himself in a world of shit by praising Hamas and talking trash on Psycho Baby. Kesquisay. Uh, this past weekend, they had a Christian event at Trump Miami Doral. Now that the now that the <clears throat> Christians have gone home, they're probably all scratching at bed bug bites. It was an it was an event for reawaken America. Uh, General Mike Flynn was going to be there. Late, lately seen. Uh, auctioning off an autographed Mr. Meth Pillow, genuine Mr. Meth Pillow Pillow, to fund to to help fund the legal defense of Peter Navarro. Well, one of the leading yackers at the Reawaken America event at Trump Miami Doral was uh, a dude who uh, is a fitness guru. He's one of those guys with a beard you could strain soup out of. Uh, I turned that off. Why does that keep getting turned back on? That was the pop from, well, we'll just deal with it. Mr. Ian Smith, Mr. Smith, because it's the independent. Like I said, he's a fitness guru. But he's he was one of the Friday speakers, and uh, he's been posting decidedly anti-Israel posts since the conflict began. Hey, he's a Holocaust denier, among other things. Yeah, but, well, remember, Nitwit Nero said, and he basically admitted it. You know, we've said all along that maybe he gave some shit to Sergei Lavrov and, you know, the Russians in that photograph with him in the Oval Office. He basically admitted it. He said that he was disappointed in Bibi and that Bibi let him down because he wouldn't support the assassination attempt that wound up being successful of uh, the Iranian general Suleiman. Don't remember. He's real busy being dead. And uh, <laughs> that Hezbollah is very smart, even though it was Hamas that did the attack. Never mind. Oh, well, don't worry. Uh, He won't lose a vote. And so uh, that's the program. Well, true enough. (laughs) Irish Dave. 
uh, Irish Dave says, uh, you ever heard of self-hating Jews, Robin? Common equity would allow self-hating Palestinians reawaken Merca? Would that be like woke? Yeah, it's reawakened, so no, it's definitely not woke. No, no, definitely not woke. They reawaken slow on the dri- in the driveway. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so very much. Uh, thanks, Kenley, for getting us down to 1410. Thanks for everybody who jumped in. Thanks to our Patreon and PayPal subscribers. Thanks to our a la carte contributors, Christopher and Kevin, and our kind anonymous friend and Kenley, and Ralphs for the challenge. Thank you. Thanks to each and every one of you who share your precious finite time engaging in the program in whatever manner you so choose. Thanks to our all-volunteer staff. Great to hear from you, Steve. Thank you, Roger, in the chat room. Thank you to our news ninjas. Thank you, Brother Deacon Asa, head on dot live. Remember, please like and subscribe. Leave a comment for the algorithms. Tell your friends and neighbors. Now, we live in a time where maybe some of the very good things we discuss here, some of the really solid analysis we come up with here and do it before the for-profit media ever does, uh, maybe folks might like to be part of that. Thank you, John Fox in Australia. Thank you, Ben Birch, whiterosesociety.org. White Rose is back up and running. Thank you, Ben, for that. Thanks to the hardest-working, bravest people I know, the folks at Cold River Mountain Watch, crmw.net, 20-plus years at the forefront of the struggle for human rights and environmental justice in Appalachia and a proud union shop. Please stay safe. It's booster time. Get your RSV and your flu shot, too. Wear your mask if you're around the maggots or any group of five or more, but especially if you're around the maggots. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Use your hand sanitizer. Carry it with you everywhere you go, pocket or purse. Maintain your social distance as best you can. And, of course, if uh, somebody comes towards you babbling about the Gaza Act... Avoid them like the plague, because they are. And always, 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 Gina, it's all for you. Love you, Wayne. Later.